Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Now listen, families, um, we cry together, we um, fight together, and sometimes we laugh together. So I'm about to show you some stupid stuff on the screen. Because, here's what I found out, if you have a night where you can't sleep, and you're scrolling through, or you're watching TV, I don't know why it is, maybe that's because all us dumb people stay up too late, they put some stuff on TV that nobody needs. So let me show you one of these inventions. This is a real invention. This is what they call an AirPod stick. So that, this is true. This is so that you can easily pull it out of your ear. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a problem that no one has. This is another, show this next one. This is real. This right here, what do they call this thing? The knuckle inferno. (laughs) That's brass knuckles. With the, uh, so I guess if you get in a fight, you got a candle so you can see, um, at least on the first punch. Okay, show, uh, again, a problem nobody has. Here's something nobody needs. Yeah, I don't even need to talk about that. Next. This right here, uh, this is the glizzly, glizzy gripper, right? And the whole, pro- the problem they're trying to solve is when you're eating a hot dog, nobody can see you make a mess, right? Um, That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. A problem nobody needs solved. Let's let's look at this last one. Uh, Enough said. A problem. You know, it's funny because we laugh at this stuff, but these are real live inventions of um, people who who literally were thinking, "Um, I'm going to solve a problem. And then we look at it and we go, man, that's a problem nobody has. I started thinking about the church, some of the things that we do, and I wanted to ask this question, are we sure we're not solving problems nobody has? Are we doing the most important thing as a church? Like, this is what we should be doing, is looking into our world and going, what is it? That this world needs. And how can we bring Jesus to bear on that thing? So it made me think, like, what is the problem we should be solving? What should we be after? And and recently in April, there was a study that came out. When I was growing up, um, there, there would be these warnings on cigarette packages. And you'd hear the Surgeon General. And I thought maybe that's like a... I don't know what that is, right, like as a kid, but as, as I've come to grown up, I, I know there's an actual person. In fact, our Surgeon General in the United States, his name is Dr. Vivek Murthy, and, and Dr. Vivek Murthy had a quote just in April where he said this. He said that mental health is the defining health crisis of our time. He went on to describe it in one word, He called it an epidemic. He said, we are suffering from an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And it is not just affecting our mental health, our emotional well-being, but actually our physical health. And look, this is happening in our community, in the United States. It is happening all around the world. In fact, Just recently, I heard that the United Kingdom, because of this epidemic 
of loneliness. The United Kingdom, that's Britain, they decided that they would create a parliamentary position. That their sole job is to address loneliness. He has a title. He is called the Minister of Loneliness. That's actually kind of dope. <laughs> it sounds like a good MC name, the, the Minister of Loneliness, right? That's his actual name, the Minister of Loneliness. And, and if we look into our communities, we are seeing loneliness affecting our homes and certainly affecting our relationships and our working lives and our health. Do you know this? That they have proven through research that loneliness is as bad for you physically as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. One out of every two Americans, 50% of this room, would describe themselves as lonely. Don't have their people. Aren't connected with anybody that walks with them. Don't have anybody to turn to when stuff gets hard. Nobody to call them out, to coach them up. Said another way, there is half of the people that we know who would say, I don't have my people. And the irony of all this is, is that we live in a day and age When on paper, we should be able to connect with each other easily, right? Like, on paper, we should live in the most connected time ever known to man. I mean, just three weeks ago, you you, you probably were watching the news and, like, there's all this feuding between, you know, Facebook and Twitter and it's Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and they're talking about a cage match someday. Um, Again, something nobody really needs, (laughs) But he launched this new product called Threads. It's a replacement for Twitter. And over 100 million people downloaded that app in the first 10 days. Because it promises connection. We got Facebook and Instagram. All of these apps that are rolling out regularly. Brand new one called Lemonade. All promising the exact same thing. Connection. You download this, and you'll know what's going on. You download this, you'll feel connected. You download this, you'll never be lonely. How's that going for you? Yeah, not good. Because it's like, um, it's like window shopping, right? All you're doing in these apps is you're seeing other people live their lives like standing on the other side of like a cupcake. I, I went to a cupcake shop the other day. I was at a conference this weekend for City Worship led a young adult event in Chicago and I literally walked down to Molly's Cupcakes. Molly Cupcakes is my favorite cupcake. I don't even like sweets. I love cupcakes. I don't know. I have a thing. It's a problem. And the cupcake place I looked on, it's like it's one mile away. And I'm like, how much time do I have? I'm going to walk down to Molly's Cupcakes. I walked down to Molly's Cupcakes. And I thought about this. You know what social media it is. It's like working really hard to get to Molly Cupcake and standing in the window and just staring at the cupcakes. Yeah, I can see them. I can't smell them. I surely can't taste them. And I'm never going to touch them. And so what's the point? Right? This is how we live. Deeply deeply 
deeply disconnected. And, and it's in every facet of our life, even, even like, even in our faith communities. There's a bunch of you that call this place home. I know a bunch of you are like, for real, is, is this is why you decided to have two services? Yeah, it, I mean, the sole reason uh, to move from two services to one was because as we've been moving through and starting the book of Acts, we really are asking ourselves the question, how do we create a church where we're connected? I mean, it, we've come to worship, no doubt, but how do we create a place that's connected? You know, as, as someone that tries to understand how we get into these spaces that we get into, I was thinking, how did we get here? How do we get to a place in our spiritual communities when we're as lonely as the rest of the world? How do we get here? Because I am quite sure this is not what God had in mind. And, and I reflected back to the 1970s. Now, there's a new movie that came out. It's called Jesus Revolution. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's actually really, really cool. It documents this Jesus people movement from the 1970s. That's when my, my dad got saved, was um, close to the 1970s. I was born in 19... And, um, um, but the Jesus people movement, the Jesus revolution that happened was um, uh, a bunch of hippies that started coming to Jesus, right? These, these hippies were showing up in churches and freaking people out. And um, one of the things that happened, one of the phrases that began to be kicked around in Christendom in the 1970s was this whole concept of a personal Jesus. That, that you could know the creator of the universe. He would be your personal Lord and Savior, and, 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 and that slogan, I absolutely believe to be true. But when you look at this movement within the church of a personal Jesus, combined with what culture began to do, look at the 1980s. It is when the personal computer came out, right? You had Apple and Microsoft creating a personal computer that led to, in the 1990s, personal Devices. You had Walkmans, and then you had these MP3 players, and it got smaller and more personal so that by the 2000s, we began to roll out products who, by their name, was letting us know this is for you and you alone. My iMac, my iPod, my iPhone, my iPad. Me, personal alone devices that promised us to make us more connected actually drove us further and further and further away from each other and i dare say that these forces have coalesced to this moment in time where we find ourselves the loneliest people that have ever walked the planet and here's what's interesting. It's not by generation, race, demographics. It's all of us. All of us are incredibly lonely. And we were made to connect with each other. You know, I think about the early church. And I'm going to talk about the Bible now. So done with that. We'll talk about the Bible. I think about the early church. 
You think about when God decided to start this whole connected thing up. And it's 2,000 years ago. And dare I say that when the church was born, like our predecessors, where we come from, when it was born, it was born in arguably maybe not the most disconnected, but certainly one of the most divisive times known to man. The Roman world was divided. You had Jews and Gentiles that wouldn't interact, right? You had slaves that were everywhere. The class system was extensive. The rich took advantage of the poor. There were racial rivalries that would parallel our modern world. The division between male and female, slave and free. And it was into this fractured and divisive milieu that God started the church. So if we feel disconnected now, it seems to me we should go back and look at what they did. Because what they did worked, and if it worked then, it will work now. Right? We just have to go back and see. And so you go back to... Acts chapter 2, and let me remind us as a community, over the next six months, the only thing we're studying is Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostle, the early church. We are going to go back, and for the next six months, until Christmas, study the early church. Because as we look back, it seems to me that we have a lot to learn. So if you have your Bibles, you can move to Acts chapter 2. If you've been around church for any length of time, you probably know the verses I'm about to throw on the side screen. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put it on the screen. But here's how it reads. Here's what we can learn. It says, this early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let, Let me read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message, it says, they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together. I love the early church because, you know, it was a bunch of high school kids, just to get it straight. I know oftentimes we see these movies with like the apostles and they look like guys my age with beards. These were a bunch of high school kids. And I love that what they decided to do when they were going to address the biggest issues in the world, they're like... Okay, we should learn some stuff, and we definitely should eat some food, right? And it made it in the Bible. It's like, what did they do? They started to learn together. This group of people began to learn together. The word in the Greek is koinonia, which means to be together on mission, Began to be taught by the apostles, hey, this is the way of Jesus. We should study and we should do different. And then they actually ate together. They broke bread together. You know, one, things, one of the things I think we get sort of twisted in church is this. is We sort of think of our churches like restaurants. We ought to think about them like family reunions. Because we come into church and we're like, serve me up something, Pastor. I need some good food today. If I said that to my grandmother in the kitchen, she would smack me, right? Family reunion, somebody over here said, I hope so. 
Family unions is when we get together and we all bring what we have, right? Some of us are going to, I grew up from a Southern family, so our family reunions had very specific food involved, right? We always had, um, cornbread was a really big part of us growing up. Um, always, my grandmother made the best cornbread and still this day, I cannot, I, can, I don't know how all you Northerners eat like uh, at Thanksgiving, regular dressing, we eat cornbread dressing. Anybody? Because you eat that other stuff, and I'm like, that's like, that's, I can't do, that's gross. <laughs> it was a family reunion. Well, I came from a big family, big, big family. I think, man, this is what they did. It said they got together, they would hear the apostles teach, they would break bread, they would eat together. And you know that breaking of the bread in that first century is really important because here's the other piece. It wasn't just that they were hungry. In Jesus' time, if you shared a meal with an enemy, they were no longer an enemy. They could not be. You could not be an enemy with someone you break bread with. It said, this table that we're now creating of people who are not from the same bloodline, the same socioeconomic status, Jew and Gentile, we now are family. That's why we have this family reunion. And it's so interesting because if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it says everyone that was looking was filled with awe. They were filled with awe. Now, there were many signs and wonders, but truthfully, I honestly believe in my heart of hearts, part of what filled them with awe was what was happening at these tables. Because nowhere in the ancient world was this happening. Slaves weren't invited to sit with free people. Jews and Gentiles didn't kick it. This isn't how it worked. People looked on to this Christian community who were living this life together and they were so blown away because there was nowhere else in the world a place like that existed. It blew their minds. It's why you hear me say, you've heard me say this as your pastor. We live in a divisive time and we are headed to a divisive year next year. Let's just call a spade a spade. It's going to be a rough one. But this is why I've said, oh, no, 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 no. At our table, we, you can wear a red hat. You can wear a blue hat. Right? You can be young. You can be old. You can be rich. You could be poor. At this table, there's only one centerpiece. All that other stuff, fine, bring that hat in. You could be a Cubs fan. You can be a Cardinals fan. No reason to be a White Sox fan. I'm just just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. He said, we're not family anymore, bro. Not family anymore. Hey, it breaks my heart. But seriously, we've said at this place, there's only one centerpiece that we unite around. We can wrestle through all this other stuff, but what puts awe and wonder in people are tables like that in this day and age, right? Because that doesn't exist. That would be like at the Republican National Convention, a bunch of Democrats showing up just to give hugs and share a meal. Could you imagine? Everybody's mind would be blown. They'd be like, wait a minute, what just happened? That's what we're doing. This is the gospel. This place where we all get to sit at the table and 
we'll chop it up and tell you how we feel about things. But at the end of the day, we know who our centerpiece is built around. And it is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And it says this, it says in Acts 2.42, all the believers, they're 2.44, so we were just coming down this verse. It said all these believers, they were together and had everything in common. So they were learning from God's word and from the apostles. They were breaking bread. They were sitting at the table together and, and they had all this stuff in common. Now this is, this is really key because sometimes we hear this and we're like, oh, that must mean they must all have been the same. No, 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 no. If you look up, what in common means. It just is they had the same interests and the same attitudes. That doesn't mean you have, you could root for different teams. They had the same interests. They were like, we're interested in the things of Jesus. And, and if you notice Jesus' teaching, isn't he consistently talking about the attitudes in which we interact with this world and each other? I mean, isn't the greatest sermon known to men the one we're called the Beatitudes? Where Jesus said, hey, here's how we interact. Will we be different? Yes, there's all these ways that we are different. But we know what the centerpiece that we're interested in. And we share a desire to live out what Jesus challenged us to live out in John 13, 35. And when he said, hey, listen, my disciples, my church, how are they going to know you? How are they going to know you? Not by your chairs and how comfy they are. Not by how smart you are, not by how perfect your theology is. He said, how will they know you? This is an attitude statement. By how you love one another. And then he went and died on the cross. That was his last words to us. And the early church, man, they shared this interest following Jesus and they shared this desire to follow in his teachings and his attitude and then it says in Acts 2 45 there was a sense of generosity they sold their property and their possessions and they gave it everyone who was in need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple and the courts like there was this generosity that sprung out this is why like listen when Shaman is telling you about what we were able to do last week with Rock House Kids Every week last week, somebody from this church was on their campus. So I got to drive the bus on Wednesday. I, well, I didn't actually drive the bus. I was, I, had a, I was in the passenger seat with a van full of kids trying to do a conference call. I'm like, listen, I'll do the call, but there's a bunch of kids and they're trying to get my attention, so you're just gonna have to deal with it. So this is what we, we do. We, we look at this community and we look at our friends and we look at our neighbors and we take the stuff that we have and we offer it up. This is what the early church did to live the life together. They broke bread together. They learned together. They sat at the table together. They were generous to one another. They were consistent. They met regularly. So they broke the bread in the homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And it goes on to say, and they praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. This is what happened. This is what happened when you live life together. They were adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Just living life together. 
Now you tell me. In this day and age, do you think if we could get this straight and live and be an Acts 2 church, don't you think if one out of every two people in our community is struggling from loneliness, we would be adding to our numbers daily? Life together. This is what we want to be. We want to live this. You say, how could I describe Forest City Church that? You say, what do we strive for? That. What is our vision? That. What's our mission? That. This is what we're going to do. This is why we're studying Acts. And in in a few weeks, you're going to hear some really, really cool next steps. But I know when you hear this, you're like, okay, some of you are like real linear and I get it. And you're like, okay, so tell me how do I participate? What do I do? Tell me what to do. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Did, Did everybody get cards when they came in? Did they get those cards? Nobody got cards? You're going to get a card when you leave today, okay? So there's a card you're going to get, and it's going to describe everything that I'm about to mention. We can hand them out to the, the, um, the family meeting. But if you ask, how do I participate? How, how do we get there? Five really simple arrows. You want to live life together? Number one. First arrow, backward. Where are we going as a church? Well, we're going to go backward. We're going to know where we came from. This is why we're studying Acts. That's why I said we sit underneath the apostles' teaching. We're going to know where we came from. It's all right here. This is where we came from. We're going to know this book. We're going to be in this book. We're going to talk about this book. We are going to go backward. But we're not just going to go backward. If we're going to live life together, part of what we do is go backward. But we're also going to go forward. We go forward. We go together. This is not a solo sport. Right? That's not what we're doing. We are going to go together. If you want to live life together, you want to be that kind of church, we will go backward and know where we come from. We will always go together. And part of what we've been trying to build is a structure that will help each of us step into this go together. You heard us talk about H3, havens, homes, and hubs. Havens are these learning communities where you can Go backward and learn the Bible. Last year we had uh, classes like uh, uh, how to follow Jesus and how to read your Bible. We're going to continue with that. But in just the next few weeks, we're going to introduce the second H, which is homes. And let me just give you a precursor. We're not building anything for you. We're just going to invite you to come learn how to throw a party Acts 2 style. And then I'm going to say, go throw parties. Some of you are like, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual to me. I don't know, man. I think food's real spiritual, right? (laughs) We're going to invite all of us to live out homes where we open our homes to people in this community, that we open our homes to each other. Some of us have been waiting. You're like, man, I don't know. Sir, what are you going to do, Eric? How are you going to help me get connected to people? You're going to throw parties in your home. 
Then you'll hear us talk about hubs and how we live deeply connected, but we will go backward. We will go forward together. And the third direction, we're gonna live this out. We're gonna go upward. We're gonna pursue God's presence. That's what we're gonna do. And some days we're gonna walk in and pursuing God's presence is gonna, you're gonna know Lauren's shoes aren't gonna be on. That's when you know she's ready to roll. When that girl's shoes come off, I'm like, oh boy. We're going to pursue his presence on Sunday, and we're going to invite you to pursue his presence on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And when we come back on Sunday, we're going to throw parties in his presence. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go upward, and then we're we're going to go inward. Look, families, we don't cancel each other. We don't nix each other. We don't sit with our own brokenness and don't try to fix it. Listen, we do our work in this house. Some of us are going to make lots of mistakes, me included. We say we're sorry. We do not leave. We do not cancel. That's not how it works. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. Because we're in it together. But we all commit to do our work. You got to do your work, and that leads to the last one. Outward. See, if we do this, if we start backward, we know where we came from, right? We go forward, we go together. We go upward in Jesus. We do our work inward. We will be ready to go outward. And there is nothing that we cannot do if we all live this life together. Nothing. No problem we can't solve. No issue in this community. Nothing. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because this is what I saw happen in these pages of this book. That when this group of ragtag, broken, unconnected people sat underneath a different kind of kingdom, something crazy happened. People got healed. Past hurts got absolutely set free. Bondage was broken. The gospel spread. It couldn't be stopped. But it all started in an upper room with a few people deciding that the way forward is for us to go together. We have to go together in Jesus' name. Will you stand with me? This is our vision, life together. This is our mission, life together. What's our vision? What's our mission? See, this is what we do. And so as we put a stamp on this, um, I'm going to come back up and give you a little details. They're different than than the screen. I know some of you are like, 1230, don't worry about that. For the next five minutes, just we're going to worship for just a second. And um, we're going to put a put a put a exclamation point on where we're headed as a church. So, Lauren, will you will you lead us just one more time in Waymaker?